Always waiting for your next tabletop gaming fix? You can support Strange Assembly at patreon.com. This is Strange Assembly episode 183, Orleone and Friends. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Matt Sandlin. Hey, everybody. Now, this is the second episode of Strange Assembly that Matt has uh, recorded with me, but only the first one is here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's let's say thank you to Matt for for suffering through a uh, a technical issue on the first. And now it was his fault, but still, he he, it, he yeah, suffered it, through it. It 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 is my fault. So. <laughs> We'll blame that on uh, improper account creation. <laughs> how how could you do anything only through Windows? No, no, no. So if, uh, as you could tell from the title, we're going to talk about Orleone today and some other board games. Orleone, Time Stories, Samara, Seven Wonders Duel, La Isla. This is going to be an all-board game review episode. And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. If you like this, you can check us out more at strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. So do you want to get right into the reviews, or do you want to salivate over Inferno or Scythe or something like that? Well, you know, we can we can definitely uh, talk about Arcadia Quest Inferno just, you know, quickly, just you know, since it ended yesterday at, you know, what, $1.7 million, almost 10,000 backers, which is crazy. So the, the Arcadia Quest continues uh, with a couple new mechanics, uh, the rescuing of angels uh, in a campaign, and they get to kind of join your guild so you have four members instead of just three members, but still only three active members in a given scenario. And then there's another mechanic that's from Beyond the Grave, uh, like uh, where they had the graveyard cards that you could reveal, and they've got they've revamped that for Inferno. And then obviously tons and tons of plastic rack. That's just glorious. So, guys, if, <laughs> if, if that sounds cool to you, Tough Shavinsky, uh, the Kickstarter's over. I mean, you can go buy it all for like $1,200 uh, <laughs> on eBay when the when this stuff comes out. So with that, I, I, on the other hand, my I think my favorite cool mini or not game is the Grizzled. I'm not sure what that says. Uh, <laughs> it's good. It's good. Actually, you can still late pledge. I'm not how... Sh- how long they're going to do late pledge, but it is it is open, so you can go and do that. So I, I'll probably be open for about maybe a month, maybe till the end of the month. I don't have a firm date on that, but so is there any difference between assuming you didn't get an early bird? Is there any difference between pledging normally and late pledging? You don't help unlock all the glorious stretch goals. Okay. But uh, other than that, no, there's really no difference. I mean, you you do get them all, but you just don't help towards that. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'll just buy retail. I'm like, hey, that's that's up to you. But, you know, the more people you, that jump on and pledge during the campaign, the more Well, you can't other... buy it all retail. Uh, yeah, I know. Because lots of people are... sort of... Yeah, I know. I well, know. I guess that's for the benefit of people who, who may jump on. I did... What did it end up at? It's about... 
it was over 300 to get up to 400 for like the you want everything because because some of the unlock stuff is just added in and some of the right. unlock stuff is you have the option to buy this other box for 25 or 50 dollars or this figure for eight dollars or right there's going to be some retail packages that are going to be in there but i guess more the exclusive pieces are what i would consider necessary like the the token pack that has all the guild tokens and things like that. I think it is about 250 for you want everything. But that that of that has something exclusive and then it's about and then add about another 50-60 to everything that's not released yet. So it, it's about what what having back one or two cool mini or not campaigns, it's about the average pledge of what what one would expect to have to get get it all yeah okay but we haven't actually played that yet i do think arcadia quest is my second favorite cool mini or not game so the, the favorite one my favorite one that feels like a cool mini or not game yes <laughs> well i i've played it a few times i like it again it's you know kind of just take that a lot of fun Go from that, uh, what, epitome of uh, Ameritrash to Houston is to Orleone. So Orleone, uh, what, I guess it came Deluxe. out at, yeah, it came out at, uh, at Essen last year. Last but year. I, I, I was actually thinking about this as far as, as, uh, of the year awards. It's, nobody here had it until the Deluxe thing came out. Right. And so it, I'm like, man, is it, is it not eligible for a, a 2015 game of the year because it technically came out in 2014, which is usually how I would do those things? But I'm like, oh, but we can call Orleone Deluxe. That's right. <laughs> the 2015 game. <laughs> the, the 2015. It, it, well, it, it has its own board game geek entry, I guess, because it has the fifth player in there. But we're, we're I'm probably getting ahead of myself. Why don't you talk about what the game is? So everybody's familiar with with deck building and what that is, and so they took kind of deck building and moved it into what they call bag building or, you know, generating your workers. And from there, it kind of goes back into an uh, an action selection and choice mitigation (laughs) because there's always – I I look at the board, the player board in front of me, and then the the main board, and I'm, I'm always like, oh, I could do this. I can do that. Oh, but it would be really great if I did this. And it's just, and then, you, so you got to kind of, there's a lot of planning, but then, all right, now that I know what I want to do, let me draw my, draw my workers out and see what I actually can do. <laughs> and then the, the mitigation of, oh, please, oh, please draw my monk that's wild. So, um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that the main board feels, you know, it's in the ballpark of, of standard Euro sort of thing. You have a a map with some goods on it. As you move around, you can pick right. up the goods, and those are worth the victory points. And you can put up trading posts in cities, and those are worth victory points. And then there are various tracks that you can move up, and those will give you benefits as you move up them. There are citizens' tokens at various places along these tracks, and the first person to get there gets the citizen token. And then there's a uber track along one side of the board that is a multiplier for your points for the citizens and the the trading houses but 
but yeah, the what drives all that, like you said, is is the pulling the tokens out of a bag, which will determine what your possible actions are. You have your own player board with your actions on it in front of you, and you have to arrange the the tokens that you pulled that turn to, to activate what your actions are going to be. And most of the time, most of the tracks you move up the track by taking one of the actions that Get buys you, you another token and to drop into your bag. Yeah. So, I mean, we have really liked Orleone. We do an awful lot of, you know, just trying to play, playing lots of new things or, or different things every time. And, and Orleone's was immediately something that people insisted come back to the table on, on do, later do weeks. It, doing it again, I think. Uh, we've, I've done it twice the with the main group. Um, then I've done it, I actually taught my family and then also a uh, two-player uh, with one of our other people in the group, just kind of a side thing. Yeah, so, when you're saying your family, not I, not your kids, right? No, not my okay. kids. My, they're, they're not, <laughs> I'll say that for you. If my, if my kids could handle Orléans, that would be amazing, and we wouldn't be talking right now. We'd be playing Orléans. <laughs> no, um, I, I did this uh, over Thanksgiving uh, with the in-laws and my nephew, and so it was... Uh, and he picks up games quite a bit, and we share a birthday, so I'm the uncle that always uh, has a game for him on his birthday. Which, if he's a, uh, a worthy nephew, makes you the awesome uncle, and if he's lame, Correct. makes you the lame uncle. Correct. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, another game. Word game. <laughs> no, actually, um, he outbeat he. Beat me in Orleans, kind of bad when we played, and we played five player. And I mean, he he picked up on it like just stuck to a water. Yeah, well, now you've played at at both the very highest and the lowest play counts, which I have not. How different an experience is that? Because there's some scaling on the board, but I don't, I didn't know how much it really would. The big difference for two-player is the kind of the market board where the resources are and where you build your guild halls are it's wide open you know there there is it's really hard to block somebody you know whereas in the five-player game turn order is super important because things are going like crazy and you can get blocked out of an area where you need to go so quickly now there's a promo, I think it's the tavern, I want to say, and it lets you build where somebody else is built. And in a five-player game, that is a glorious upgraded merchant building to get. And to play five-player, you have to have the deluxe edition. I have to say yes. it was kind of confusing when I I first opened the, the deluxe box, which is exceptionally full because it's got all the normal components and then it's got all of the deluxe components but the rule book does not have a component listing right um and there's there's not even like a rule supplement that discusses the fact that there are components in there for five players it's on the stickers it's on the stickers yeah you have to reverse engineer it from the the stickers yeah, from from the sticker sheet for the and there's a sticker sheet in there because for the if you don't get the deluxe one, the tokens are just thick cardboard ones. If you have the deluxe ones, the the discs that you're putting into the bag are wood, and then you put stickers on them to 
more easily tell what kind of stickers a la standard TMG. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, no, no. So that, so that's, uh, Orleone or Orleone Deluxe from, yes. from Tasty Minstrel. That's gone over very well for us. Yes, I agree. The second game we're going to talk about today, or, or I guess just more, more me is Time Stories. And Time Stories is from Space Cowboys, the folks who were the, the studio did Splendor. Although this game has nothing whatsoever to do with that one. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> no, there's nothing. Uh, right. For example, you, you can place Splendor with a small child. This game, that so would much. be a bad idea on many levels. So the concept of Time Stories, which uh, I'll let me provide us say does sound kind of silly, but roll with it, is that your players are a team of chronal agents who are going back in time to try to fix something. And the way that that works out then is that you are merging into and basically semi-possessing someone in that actual time and then playing through events. So you will show up with an imperfect knowledge of the situation. You have a character who is going to be somebody who's from that time frame and what your abilities are are affected by that person. Like, you're directing them, but you're still them. And that is where you start the game. And that's basically all you know. Go fix something. You have to then explore the game. There's a deck or decks of cards, and you, you'll start in, like, one room, and you can kind of explore that room. And then you have to, you know, room is represented by some cards. Then you have to figure out where to go. It's a lot of opening up the story. And then the reason why the whole time thing is in there is that if you have not solved the scenario in a certain amount of time, or if you mess it up otherwise, it resets. Like you get pulled back and then you get sent back into the, sent back into that location again. And you're back in the room where you started. You reset the deck for the most part. And now you go through it again. You have more information. You can hopefully make better decisions. You may have to figure things out. You may have to engage in some dice rolling combat. But it was really good. I guess I should know. There are scenarios, right? So there's one scenario that comes with the game. And then you can buy one additional scenario now. And they're planning on, I think, releasing them quarterly starting with a, a Fanta, a more standard fantasy-themed one in spring of next year. But the current ones are a horror-themed one that comes with it, and then something out there that's called The Asylum. The, the other one's called The Marcy Case. This is a consumable game, I guess is the term that, that people used in that once you have played through a scenario, there's really no reason to play it again, unless you've just forgotten everything. I, I guess you could, as just a mental exercise, run through it again and see if you could remember everything and do the optimal pathing or something like that, beat it as quickly as possible. But really, you are you are going to spend, I would say, an evening, three-ish hours, probably more, maybe less, but probably not, playing through a scenario, and then it's done. So, some of it's 
puzzles. I mean, some of it is is very yeah. puzzly sorts of things that's just not super enjoyable to play again. But I am someone who, I, on the one hand, I'm both conscious of the cost of games. On the other hand, I spend too much money on games that sometimes end up sitting there and taking a while to get played. But to me, you know, I know there are people who just refuse to engage in this sort of thing. But to me, it was it would be well worth it. I was not the one who bought Time Stories. Someone else in our group did, but we played through that. And then I liked it so much that I went and bought the expansion, the Marcy case, even though I don't own the game. I dropped the expansion so that the group could play through it, and then I can trade it off or eBay it or whatever. Right. I'm fine paying my 20 bucks or whatever it was on, on cool stuff to have the experience of playing through this for an evening. You've contributed to the co- to the overall cost of this game. That's Time Stories. I think it's excellent. It is not because I, I guess I'll note this because we try to make sure the podcast is family friendly. This is not a family friendly game. You would not want to play the the theme and some of the events and illustrations in the game would not be appropriate for kids. So at least I don't think. So bear that in mind. But other than that, I I think Time Stories is. Is really good. You should. I think you should try to get out and uh, play it. So, do you have Samara up for us next, Matt? Yeah, we can. We can do Samara. Samara is, I guess, what came out last last year. It was this year. This year, it, it, it was on Kickstarter last year. That's what it was. So, by Kowali. And so, the main mechanic in this is its time track and moving up the time track to take the actual action that's on the main board and you know how far do you move up the time track and uh, when is the right time to take one of your workers all the way to the end of the uh, time track to get a new worker so yeah that, I guess that's kind of the main main mechanics of that and I thought it was uh, the the mechanic in there was very very interesting I liked that time track aspect of it. I think all of us who played it were sort of, wow, we like that time track aspect of it. If only the the actions you were taking with the time track were more exciting, fun. I don't know what the right word is, but... The tiles were rather, you know, again, it, you, you go through the time track and you've got to collect six tools to be able to do, every, to be able to build every type of building. And the most points buildings or the highest value buildings require more tools. So if you don't get them, you won't be able to have those higher points. So yeah, there is a kind of a little bit of a tiny bit of an engine building to get the right tools and how efficiently you can go and get the right tools. Right. And sometimes that's not very sexy. It's not like we aren't a group that can get into economic engine building game. We are a group that does that sort of game. Right. With Gusto. But I, I want to see that other half somewhere else. I like it. I'll probably play it again a couple... Yeah, I'll, I'll probably play it again. Just I'll make sure I get some of the other group uh, available. <laughs> <laughs> I recently picked up Seven Wonders Duel... Seven Wonders is three to seven players, really. 
It, it has a, uh, a two player variant, which involves the use of a dummy player. And my general rule of thumb is that if a two player variant involves the rule or, or if any number of players involves the use of a dummy player, that's probably a sign that you should not be playing it at that player count. So I've never played the original seven wonders at, as two player and I've never regretted that. But, ah, two player, real two player seven wonders sort of thing. That would be, uh, good, especially since I was hoping to be able to, and have been able to play it with, uh, with my wife. So in Seven Wonders Duel, you are collecting cards and, and building a city. It, it has thematic and some mechanical similarities to the original Seven Wonders. And the, the main thing that you do every turn is that there's going to be a tableau of cards available. There will be one tableau for age one, one for age two, one for age three, and the cards are stacked up on each other in a little cascade so you can't just buy anything right at the start you start at the bottom and then as the things in the bottom get bought they reveal the the things up top and some of the things higher up are face up but some of them are face down which is good i think because it means that you can't try to plot out how you want the entire age to go and thus ap out right from the beginning the first row is visible, the second row is not. So you just kind of have to pick what you want on the first row and, and without being able to hyper-analyze what's on the second row. It's kind of got that, uh, what, the old solitaire card, uh, just regular deck of cards, the three tower pyramid one, where you're trying to make 13 to reveal the f- deeper cards. Yeah, well, I guess that's true of a lot of solitaire games now that you've mentioned that, yeah, where you, you know what the top card of the stack is and it's not until you move that off, and then you go, oh, I did not need another red jack. Right. Uh, that yeah, was not helpful. I, I'm interested to try out Seven Wonders Duel just for the whole, well, I don't want to buy that right now because that's going to uncover this other piece, and that's really going to help him. You do get into that a little bit. It doesn't come up a ton because it's often much more about what you need now, but there are some scenarios where either you don't want your opponent to get whatever the card one step up is, or you really want to get it. And so, yeah, you, you want to try to take anything other than the thing that's locking that card down to try to hope to force your opponent to be the one who takes that card so that they don't get dibs on it. But yeah, you, you can build that card, and th- there are five different resources instead of seven, so it's somewhat simplified uh, as what sort of resources you might need. But like in Seven Wonders, you can also build that thing or you can throw it away for coins or you can use it to build one of your wonders. And so you start the game with four wonder cards, each of which requires certain things to build and each of which gives you specific effect when it comes out. And so you you are building these little engine things. And so there are... There's three ways to win, and one is, you know, your traditional seven wonders sort of thing. I build up a lot of points. And so if you if it, the game lasts all the way through to the end of the third age, then you add up points, and then one person will then achieve a civilian victory is what they, they call it. But you can also win through technological or military dominance. The military thing I think is really cool. Every time you take a card that has one of the sword and shield symbols, you move this track, this a marker on a track, one step closer to your opponent. 
if you move it a few steps along, then they lose a couple of coins. And if you move a few more steps along, then they lose five coins. And if you make it all ten steps down to the end, you just win immediately. And then if you don't get all the way, it's still worth some victory points that you've gotten further down. Similarly, with science, when you are collecting science cards, most of them inherently do nothing or are only worth one victory point. But if you get two of the same science card, you get a little progress token that gives you some ability for the rest of the game or gives you some victory points. But there are six different science symbols. If you get all six science symbols, you instantly win through technological dominance. So what happens when you get into the third age is that if if you've got lots of technological symbols or you've advanced very, very close to your opponent's capital on the military track, now your opponent has to make sure that you don't get those. And that was the time when you most off, when you really, really heavily got the, I've got to make sure to, to make my opponent be the one who unlocks this card just so I can stop them from getting it. If I'm eight military towards your capital, you have to do anything to stop me from picking up some two shield card or it's going to be game over. The game, I think, is actually more satisfying when that doesn't happen, when there's back and forth about those and people worrying about it, but the game actually goes to the sort of more natural climax rather than, oh, and I took the sixth science game. But I think it's really good. Uh, I think it, it definitely captures the feel of Seven Wonders, even though obviously the mechanics have been changed up some, some and I really like having a two-player variant of that particular game. I know that, I, when I was talking to you earlier, Matt, beforehand, it can be hard for me to get to play heavy two-player games. Like I, I think Twilight Struggle is great. I don't own it because the, the most common person I'm going to play a two-player game with that's not some customizable thing like X-Wing or Legend of the Five Rings is my wife, and she's just not going to play some heavy three-hour game. But games in the lighter to medium category that are good and two players are really great for me, and so I I really liked Seven Wonders Duel. Last game of the, the evening. What do you well, th- well, before we do the last game of the evening, oh. uh, we need to do uh, oh. we need to plug something for one of the other guys in our group. Matt Sanchez is doing a Kickstarter with, uh, and I'm going to mess up Andy's last name. I don't think we've met Andy, but Andy uh, Katowski. It's called Shinobi Gami Modern Ninja Battle Tabletop RPG. They are actually translating this. This is a game that, that has existed as an RPG in Japan, and they've done some translations for it, and now they're running the Kickstarter to do the final translations of the core books, and then I think they've hit some stretch goals to get some other uh, fun things involved. But uh, I think that they've got five days left on the, the Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, so there's five days left to go. We are, but so you know, we are recording this on Wednesday, December 9th. So keep that in mind when you're assessing that five days, Wednesday, December 9th. Yeah, they're, uh, they're at almost 70,000. So they've pretty, they pretty much crushed their, their, their goal, their funding goal on this. Yeah. A lot of their, their stretch goals had more to do with backer count than with dollar amount. Again, it's, it's a, 
Japanese RPG. So I think there was a magical girls skin or theme that they were going to have like a kind of a, a side source book for, if I remember correctly. Uh, but having played other tabletop RPGs, this was a big departure for from their, your traditional, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder esque RPG and very story driven. I think it's great for people who may not be able to do the long weekly campaigns. You know, it, it's more set up for kind of one shots, maybe a longer evening than your standard board game night, but I think between four and six hours, I think, are, are generally the scenarios that they do. Very, very interesting, interesting thing. And I can't remember if Matt's done a a live cast or a live stream of one of them. Anybody listening, and if they, if it piques your interest at all, you should definitely try and get in on listening to one of those. It, it's fun. They're on Kickstarter, or you can also visit shinobigami.com which is the just a standalone website for that there you go so shinobigami on kickstarter through something like december 14th tuesday december 15th okay. uh, at middle of the day eastern standard time there you go all right so what about the island the island la isla um so I, I, again this was kind of a uh, you, know, you look at the box cover, and you're like, okay, what am I going to be doing here? Um, but a very, a very interesting kind of exploration slash multi-choice cards. I think that's the best way to describe that mechanic. I'm not, I'm not quite sure if that's the right way to say that. But the the card has three potential actions on it, and you're dealt. You're dealt three, and each one of them you have to choose either the A part, the B part, or the C part. One of them is getting you more resources. One of them is kind of some type of action on the board. And the other one is moving up the exploration of a particular type of animal, the, uh, which is that scoring yeah. for that type of animal. You're advancing the, the scoring multiplier. <laughs> right. So if And if you're not near enough to catch those type of animals, then you're like, well, maybe I'll eventually come back and get some of them. The first kind of first playthrough of that, uh, I, I think I would do better playing it again. Just knowing how to control your workers to work to control the, control a certain area of the board. Did Z win that? Uh, I th- I think it was it was really close though I think between all of us I don't I don't re- remember I think he did though yeah well because we you spent a while of that game with us feeling like oh man he's got this engine going over there we're gonna because you had a what in a, a an ability that made one color of resource wild and then an ability yes. that like whenever I got that one or whenever I got one I would also get that color yeah so it was you're you're going out on the island and trying to capture animals, collect specimens, whatever you want to put it. And so yeah, you're putting your workers out, and when you surround a space, you collect the token, and then you get some points, and you get m- more points if it's harder to surround, and uh, fewer if it's easier to surround. And yeah, and then at the end of the game, 
your points from the end of the game are the tokens that you have multiplied by whatever the scoring multiplier is for that animal. Plus, what whenever you advance a particular animal's track, you get points based on what you already have right. from that animal. So, yeah, it was interesting. I don't know about you. I felt a little cons- – it felt really constrained once we started going because it was sort of like you, you have four workers, I think, out is what you start with at least. And right. when you start moving them around the board, so you'll, you'll put them out and you'll kind of surround one spot. And then really you aren't going somewhere different on the board. You kind of just have to march around the board Right. You know, moving <laughs> the far left pair of guys further right so that you can surround that new space and then moving now your leftmost guys further right so you can surround that space. Well, or you move a little bit in because, you know, it's got three concentric rings that make up the different spaces. So sometimes you move instead of further out, you move in instead of right or left. Yeah, and it kind of behooves you to it, pick a path. Like, try to stay away. Yeah, pick a path, stay away from other players. At least, I guess, depending on the player count, if, like, we had an odd number of players, so if, if two of you, like, act, I, I think if you moved a bunch of guys around to try to surround a space and then ended up getting nothing out of those movements, that would end up being very bad for your I could your see final that school. very frustrating. Yeah, I, I mean, that. I think the, the best part of the game, I thought, was when, was most of the time when you would, uh, we're making that decision about how to arrange your cards and choosing the cards with abilities. Those went up in front of you. You had, I think four slots, three or four slots. And, and those were static abilities that were just in effect. But then every turn you had to basically refresh one of them because you had to play one of those cards. You had to cover one and it it didn't matter. You could cover the same one over and over, but you had to, cover one of them. Yeah. I almost wish you couldn't do that. I would have changed it up a little more. But I, I guess that was the best part, in, except for this, this stretch of turns where I kept drawing. Like, I'd get three cards that had the exact same resource that wasn't what I wanted. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> curse you, yes. randomness. That's right. And, and I kept getting the one that gave me two. It, well, yeah, for a stretch, <laughs> you, for, for a long stretch you did, and then it stopped. And I did recall you being unhappy with that. Turn of events. Yes. <laughs> so, and is this uh, this is a Feld, right? It is. It is. So, there you go. Lost Isla from the Feld. Yes. There's five games. I think at least three of them really good. So that's a pretty high uh, hit rate there. I think. Anything else you wanted to to throw out there before we wrap it up, Matt? The only other thing that we we had kind of touched on, and uh, somebody joked about it, is the the new scythe image. That's the number one image on BGG right now. Is the components <laughs> uh, for scythe? So yeah, um, you've got the the production component display with the miniatures, and then also the wooden bits for the game, and they look pretty sweet. So. Wow, and I, I, I felt a little uh, BGG-centric because I pay so much attention to the game rankings. <laughs> the image <laughs> rankings? You know what hey, the top hey, image hey. on BGG is? <laughs> I, I cheat. The only reason I knew that that was that there was because of the Kickstarter update for it. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I do read my Kickstarter updates. Also in the Kickstarter update, you know, we got the back-of-the-box image and then some other kind of 
production esque images to kind of show what where the state of things are. I will say the Automa cards for Scythe are looking really good now because I did a I did quite a bit of the playtesting for Automa for Scythe, and the way the card layout is now, it's it's very nice. It's very for for fairly big on uh, Stonemeyer here on this show, although. Like, who isn't, really? <laughs> well, they've produced a small number of games, but none quality. of them have been poorly received. They've all been... I mean, even, like, I, I ended up not really being into Euphoria, but everybody else was. Right, I think I think they've been received well. Uh, you know, Viticulture, I think, is received very well, especially with the Tuscany expansions and now i guess the essential edition oh yeah uh, viticulture is amazing for me it just scales really well i like the i like it with two people it slows down a little bit but i like it with six people and this is still engaging it's fun with six people it's it's too long as in i mean because it's six people i all have to take turns but you know but if if you've got those six people sitting at the table and you're going to have to make a six-player game yeah i that's that's probably going to be in there. Like I guess yeah, unless you just play Seven Wonders again, <laughs> you know, which is you know never a bad choice. That's probably going to be in there. But let's see, what are we what are we going to have coming up? So for the the L five R people in the somewhat near future, you can uh, expect Fred Juan to be back on again to talk about some uh, sort of what they would have done in the story things. We should end up having some sort of retrospective with Brian Reese the lead designer of, of L5R for, for years now, who's who will be staying with AEG. We will hopefully have a sort of end-of-the-year look back for the, the board and card games episode. And then further on, we are, we are going to have a Viking episode because <laughs> I want to have... Well, I, I want to do a comparison of Champions of Midgard, which we've played, but we've skipped for this because I want to do this Viking thing. Because the theming is... And general con not just the theme, but the general concept seems very similar to a, a Kickstarter that I back called Raiders of the North Sea that I literally got in the mail today. So obviously I've not played it yet since I see I got home at seven forty five and then at about eight I poked Matt on on Skype. So that's that's been my day. Um <laughs> Well and then this Friday I don't know that you're gonna get it in and even uh, if no, you I did, I don't know that I could provide good feedback because uh we got a large group this week. Parts of the of the subgroups, yeah. Yeah, I think we're gonna hit yeah, wait, I don't know. No no one cares what I'm going to be playing this Friday. But yeah, so that was <laughs> Champions of Midgard, Raiders of the North Sea, Blood Rage, and because it was two dollars with Orleone, bottle cap Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> Which means before before the, we do that that talk, I need to get that one unwrapped and actually in front of the table. <laughs> you you want to be able to uh, to contribute to all aspects of of Viking. Of Viking, yes. Yeah. I, what that's the funny thing is, I don't care about Vikings. I, I I mean, not like I dislike Vikings, but okay. I don't I don't know why they just. Surge all at once. It's really it's because I I had Raiders of the North Sea on the way, and then we sat down to do Champions of Midgard. I'm like, wow, the concept of this seems really similar. I not necessarily the specific mechanics, but just the whole like, here's our Viking village, and you build up Euro style resource things, and then you use those to go out and fight monsters and do raids and such. Right. 
but we'll we we will see. But until then, you've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can visit us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there or on iTunes or Stitcher. If you check us out on one of those other services, we always would appreciate a rating or review. That helps other people find the show. We're also on social media. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. You can contact me directly with your uh, compliments, complaints, completely unconstructive feedback, that sort of thing. I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Matt Sandlin, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.